all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far, Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archive. So how's everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy. Hey guys, Mando Season 3 starts tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but I am super excited. In all reality, it comes out at like 1 o'clock my time in the morning. So I don't even have to wait 24 hours to watch it. But I know today is going to go by so slow. I'm trying to do everything I can to take my mind off of it so I don't watch the time. Because if you watch the clock, time goes by slower than ever. So let's talk about some news right quick. And this was kind of cool. The cinematography, lighting, and VFX director, Joe Aaron, did an interview with StarWars.com. And they talk about some of the stuff. So I wanted to just go over some of the things that they talked about. He tells how he utilizes film tricks, like rear projection to give the Bad Batch an artistic flair. In Spoils of War, the Lucas Animation team crafted a great open for the second season premiere of Star Wars The Bad Batch. It's a peaceful and sunny day on a tropical planet Anaboni, until a swarm of menacing crab creatures roar down the beach chasing three members of Clone Force 99. For Joel Aaron, the incredibly talented cinematography, lighting, and VFX director crafted the breathtaking beach chase in the Spoils of War. was just another thrilling challenge. With years of experience as a member of both the animation team and ILM, he knows just how to keep audiences on the edge of their seat. It's amazing how many different considerations come up when you're creating a sequence like this. Questions like, can characters run in the water or should they stick to the beach? It might seem trivial, but they're actually critical to the success of the scene. But for Aaron and his team, no challenge is too great. Rather than shying away from the difficult of creating a realistic ocean chase, they found creative and cost-efficient ways to make it happen. By keeping the character's feet below frame and adding animated splashes, they were able to suggest the action without breaking the bank. With Aaron at the helm, there is no limit to the breathtaking visuals and heart-stopping thrills they can achieve. When it comes to creating stunning water effects, the Bad Batch knows how to make a splash. From their early adventures into Focus City on Camino to the thrilling beach chase and spoils of war, water has been a constant challenge for the team. But with Joel drawing on his years of experience at ILM, he knows exactly how to fool the audience into believing the impossible. He explains the key is to stop thinking about doing it for real. We just have to trick the audience, and the sound design will take care of the rest. In a lesson he learned early in his career while he was working on the beloved classic Hook, an artist named Steve Price told him, whenever you are doing VFX shop work, you have to play the sound in your head, and he still does it today. With every review, Joe brings the action to life with his own sound effects, making sure that the visual trickery is just right. It's a practical approach that harkens back to the golden era of visual effects, and it is why the Bad Batch continues to deliver mind-blowing visuals. Joe is a master of his craft, and he is not shy about using his past experiences to create stunning visuals for the Bad Batch. He is drawing on lessons that he learned from the time at ILM and the miniseries created by Lucas Animation, including the iconic Star Wars The Clone Wars. Aaron and his team have honored their techniques to perfection. With each new innovation, they push the limits of what is possible, creating beautiful half-hour episodes that keep viewers on the edge of their seat. When they started working on The Bad Batch, they were finishing the last season of The Clone Wars, and despite the incredible pressures we're under, we never stopped. 
We have a matter of weeks to complete each episode, and there are multiple episodes in progress at any given time. But we never let that stop us. We keep going, always pushing ourselves to new heights with Aaron's vision and skills. There's no limit to what the Bad Batch can achieve. The artists behind the Bad Batch are masters of their craft. Thanks in part to the demanding schedule that has them turning out shots at a breakneck pace. But rather than buckling under pressure, they've embraced the challenge and found their groove. Aaron explains the schedule feels normal now. He says, we have learned that we can do it and we're always looking for a way to crank up the volume. Whether we are working with our team here or our partners at CGCG, we're always pushing ourselves to new heights. Back during the Clone Wars, we were expected to experiment with how cinematics could make the show feel especially in the epic episodes featuring Maul and Ahsoka. And now with the Bad Batch, we are taking things to the next level. It is an excellent time to be a part of this team. With Aaron and his colleagues at the helm, there's no telling what kind of cinematic magic they will be able to conjure up next. Aaron's commitment to cinematic quality has paid off in spades, with anamorphic lenses style taking center stage in both Tales and the Bad Batch. The techniques borrowed from the world of live-action filmmaking lends a refined depth of field to the animated series and allows for the addition of artificial film grain, giving the final product a truly cinematic look and feel. We're always looking for a way to push the envelope, Joel says, and this technique has really allowed us to take our visuals to the next level. From the immersive world-building of tales to the pulse-pounding action of the Bad Batch, Joel's approach has helped make these shows truly unforgettable, and with each new project, he continues to innovate and refine his craft, creating some of the most visually stunning animated contents on television today. And it does look very good in my opinion. But the only drawback I have about The Bad Batch Season 2, there is no linear story. Ten episodes in, and it seems like we are watching old Scooby-Doo. Like every episode or two is its own story, instead of having ten episodes leading to something. But that's just my opinion. Okay, let's jump back into Brotherhood, because when we left off last week, Ventress had just revealed to Kitar that she was a Sith, and basically told him that he was going to have to do some extreme stuff if he wanted to save Kato Nymordia from the Republic. So let's see what's happening now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anakin Skywalker. The last time Anakin traveled in disguise was before he and Padme were married. They dressed in simple refugee clothes, a poncho over a patterned vest for him, and an outfit light years apart from her usual regalia for her. The intention of those days was to hide, but what they found became something greater, an overwhelming yearning that consumed both of them. It seemed a lifetime ago, though it had been far more recent. And while he now cringed at some of the things he'd said during those idyllic moments, the way words had tumbled out of his mouth without proper social graces or any sensible filter, he wouldn't trade any of it. Because for all the awkward exchanges and regrettable attempts at impressing her, each of his mistakes, and hers, chipped away at their mutual defenses until they saw each other for who they were. And it all started 
with a simple poncho, much like the one he wore now. Except this time, his outfit wasn't selected from various materials made available to a Jedi and a Senator. Quite the opposite, in fact. With the worn coverings they procured along with the Noriker, Anakin and Mill played the role of down-on-their-luck merchants hoping to sell wares on Cato Neimoidia, a planet known for welcoming every opportunity for even the poorest merchant. They left the public landing platform on the edge of Zara, and their clothes may as well have been dirty wash rags compared with some of the others coming and going in the port. Lush robes, glittering jewels, tailored form-fitting suits. All of it spoke of an expensive class of travelers, who partook in higher levels of business typical of the Trade Federation, where the systemic levers behind merchants and laborers were pushed and pulled for the right price. Those people looked down on, even ignored the ones who got their hands dirty building the merchandise or packing the minerals or selling the wares, which made it the perfect disguise for two Jedi in search of another Jedi. There are a lot of guards, Mills said as she glanced around. Anakin must have become desensitized to the Trade Federation's mechanical armada by now. Because even though the port's guard station saw clusters of battle droids, their presence failed to intimidate him. Instead, the sight of them provoked an instinct to whip out his lightsaber and slice through them. But he tempered his impulses and considered their bigger threat. The armored Neimoidian guards, the ones who might be searching for suspicious activity. Ignore them for now, he said and they entered a densely packed area of well-dressed travelers of all shapes and sizes. So many species eager to do business with the Trade Federation. Coming here meant paying high prices to take in the view from Cato Neimoidia's luxury hotels and spas, especially the buildings hanging downward from massive arches of their bridge cities. As long as they ignore us in return, we'll be fine. R2-D2 offered an annoyed beep at the constant starting and stopping as they waited for cross-traffic to clear up. Repulsor lifts carrying suitcases or people simply too caught up in their own business to offer basic politeness. The droid threw a set of curses at a female moon who bumped into him. But the tall, thin woman didn't give them a second glance. Easy, R2, Anakin said. You never know who might actually understand you here. So are you going to tell me why we're here now? Mill asked after several more steps. Anakin shot her a puzzled look. You know why we're here. You volunteered to come along. No, I know I'm helping you. And I know it's something about Master Kenobi. Something that's not fighting with hundreds of clones. But what? Anakin rose onto his toes for a view toward the exit, craning and angling around taller beings than humans. Except this really was just a small tactic to avoid the question. She was right, though. The youngling understood that in general, they were here to find Obi-Wan, discover who'd stolen his comlink. The nuts and bolts of that, though, remained vague. Partially because 
he hadn't figured out exactly what to do once they landed. But partially because he wasn't sure how to explain the mystery evidence. It wasn't quite a rescue mission, and the politics of the situation mucked up the neat boundaries of what needed to happen. Could he just say that it felt right, being at Obi-Wan's side when things might go sour? It's complicated. Politics aren't things younglings should think about. I don't even like thinking about it much. Kedone Moria's air was thick, the fog making it harder to breathe the instant they stepped out of the air-conditioned port building. Mill inhaled sharply and stopped in mid-step. The flow of foot traffic moved around them as if they were a rock that somehow interrupted a river, rather than two people taking in a disaster. From their vantage point several stories up, the gap in Zara was jarring. The capital city stretched over the horizon, rocky spires and other formations acting as foundational anchors between blocks and districts. Yet a massive hole was visible to the upper left, as if the Katasura district had simply evaporated from existence. Had they stood closer, the collateral damage of the explosions probably would have been visible in the remaining underlying infrastructure. But from this distance, it was simply gone. Transport circumvented the disaster area, still taking residents and visitors from one block to another. Anakin squinted, an internal judgment coming on about the people all around them. The people resuming their normal lives and taking transports to work as they floated over such devastation. Except when Mill paused, he did too, and he took in the scene around him. What he knew of the Trade Federation of Neimordians had all come from the way the Holonet portrayed them. The way Senator Locke Dodd blustered anything and everything New Gunray had ever done. While the Neimordians coming and going no longer paused at the shock of the missing Katasura district, they moved forward, some purposefully avoiding a look in that direction, others looking at it for too long. Their mourning had nothing to do with Newt Gunray's actions. For the city's residents, lives pushed forward, but the way each of them took in such a tragedy was a personal, internalized experience that Anakin could only interpret from their expressions, or lack thereof. Mill, on the other hand, wore her feelings on her face. I think, she said, I'm getting better at this. What's this? Feeling this. She gestured at the space all around. I can sense their suffering, but it's not like I'm drowning anymore. I can handle it. She reached over, taking Anakin's gloved hand. Thank you. Everything you've shown me is far greater than getting a lightsaber crystal. Maybe he should have stayed with the initiates who were impressed with lightsaber tricks and floating objects. Playing an afternoon entertainer was much easier than trying to understand this youngling. Someone who didn't quite fit the Jedi mold but was changing before his very eyes through lived experience seeing the way things worked outside the comforts of the Jedi Temple. Anakin took in a deep breath of Cato Moria's muggy atmosphere and finally attempted to answer Mill's earlier question. 
without a plan. He'd just say it. You want to know what we're doing here? Obi-Wan, my old master, he's here trying to clear the Republic. He was supposed to not contact anyone. Not the Council, not the Senate. Not me. But he needed help on something he found. Something that might incriminate the Republic. And I gave him a secret communicator for a worst-case scenario. It's just... Anakin bit down on his lip. It's now, uh... Worser than worst-case scenario. Why is that? Someone else has the communicator. He stepped forward, both Mill and R2-D2 shortly following. And with that, the data implicating the Republic. We've got to find Obi-Wan, find that data, find a way to explain why it seems authentic. Do you think the Republic is free of blame? Just like that, Anakin's good feelings evaporated. A surge of irritation. Any questioning of the Republic meant questioning him, the Jedi, Palpatine, Padme. But he stifled the feelings, stuffing it deep down before it might turn into something worse. I don't think that's possible. The Republic is trying to stop the war. The Chancellor would have known about an operation. He looked at Mill, trying his best not to be scalding. Why would you think that? You're a Jedi. If the data seems authentic, I just think it's important to ask. Don't you? Padme questioned words and intentions, always looking for ways of addressing what lay underneath the surface of what people presented. Obi-Wan questioned the details, always trying to get down to a true understanding of what happened. And even if he doubted the motives of individual politicians, his allegiance to the Republic never shook. Their questioning always drilled further down. But questioning the bigger picture, the thing that held them together? Anakin took a moment to contemplate such a thing. I didn't. Individuals made wrong decisions. But the institutions in their life? He wanted to say that of course they were trustworthy, that they were the foundation that everything was built upon. How trustworthy they were, though, depended on the people in them. As long as morally sound people like Padme, like Palpatine, steered those institutions, they'd be safe. Keeping those people in power, though, meant finding and confronting bad actors, especially the ones in the shadows. Not until this moment. I like to think that only good people make decisions for the Republic. I suppose it's possible. Corruption is possible. A different type of anger sparked in Anakin. What if the data was authentic? Someone working on the inside, but why? More profiteers or someone looking to betray the Chancellor? If corruption did exist somewhere within the Republic government, it had to be rooted out and eliminated.
We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. This was something he'd have to discuss with Palpatine at some point. But not now. Right now, his mission was Obi-Wan and the missing equipment. You've given me something to think about. Look at that. I'm learning something from you. We'll call it even now. Mill smiled. A welcome sight, given their location and the surrounding situation. I thought you were supposed to be the mentor. Me? Anakin laughed. I don't think I was put in this galaxy to teach. They made their way to the bottom of the port's entrance, the dense crowd gradually thinning out as they broke into their separate paths. Above them hung buildings from a colossal arch, a waterfall from there coming straight down into a large circular fountain in the garden in front of them. And in that water, a hologram appeared. Followed by a flourish of music, the Neimordian's own version of the Hollow News. Not surprisingly, the bombing remained the lead story. First, images of the smoking wreckage from the surface, then search and rescue teams working through the rubble. Then Obi-Wan with a lightsaber in an official-looking room. That's not good, Anakin said. Without turning away, he reached over and tapped R2-D2 on the dome. R2, do a sweep of the area. See if you pick up any further information about what's happening. R2-D2 let on a quick flurry of chirps. While not just eavesdropping, run some scans too. See if anything seems out of the ordinary. Two short whistles of acknowledgement came before the droid rotated and rolled away leaving Anakin to focus on the holonet. The scenes changed quickly, the news anchor narrating over it. The Republic's Jedi emissary, Obi-Wan Kenobi, appeared before local officials at a hearing related to the Katasura catastrophe. But the presentation quickly turned violent as Kenobi drew his weapon and attempted an escape. It cut to a rooftop chase. Obi-Wan running at a normal speed despite pursuit behind him and a clear set of guards in front of him. The Jedi used his special abilities to attack Kato Neimordian seeker remotes before tactical guard teams apprehended him. Things didn't add up here. Obi-Wan's lightsaber didn't appear in the later images despite it being in the first shot. And though he had patrols on either side of him, Anakin saw multiple escape routes off the terrace to another roof, to a passing vehicle, or up a tower. Obi-Wan worked more methodically than Anakin, but those options would be obvious to any Jedi used to thinking far beyond two-dimensional escape routes. Of the guards who apprehended him, one wore specialized armor, and another person approached, a pale woman who was clearly not a guard but the image didn't provide enough clarity for further detail. Could this be Dooku's agent? What should we do? 
Mill asked. Anakin bit down on his lip, thoughts racing while he tried to take in this sudden new set of unexpected variables. The way Obi-Wan ran still felt off, and Anakin considered the possibilities until only one felt right. He let himself be captured, possibly even hid his lightsaber securely elsewhere. That was Obi-Wan Kenobi, always negotiating until the last minute. We should find him. This might be part of his plan. Anakin turned as R2-D2 whistled, rolling back to them at full speed. But even if it is, we should let him know that we can run point for him. Let's start to... R2-D2 interrupted again, beeps and boops demanding his attention. Okay, okay. I'm listening. What is... The droid didn't let him finish, and instead beeped out details in an insistent rhythm before projecting a local map with a red dot blinking at them. What's that? Mill asked. Is that Obi-Wan? No, Anakin said, kneeling down to examine the location. Something about a hundred meters away, tucked between a pair of buildings and what appeared to be a commercial district, possibly restaurants. It's a bomb. They made a pair of sweeps around the bomb. Anakin and Mill using their Jedi perception to sense any individuals radiating any strong fears or disturbances. At the same time, R2-D2 rolled in a perimeter check, scanning for additional explosives. They met around the corner from the bomb, Mill waiting for the astromech to return while Anakin inspected the explosive material and wiring. The good news? Anakin asked when they reunited. It doesn't appear to have a timer. I'm pretty sure it's remotely activated. It's a sloppy job. The wiring is loosely soldered. The formation of the explosive isn't precise. It's some kind of orange compound. I haven't seen it before, but it... R2-D2 beeped impatiently. Of course I know you can figure it out. We'll need to document the details to send to the Republic. But it shouldn't take too long to disarm. The bad news is, it's still a bomb. R2-D2's dome rotated as a head shake. Then a set of beeps made Anakin's face turn into a grim frown. You're right, R2. The droid was certainly never one to dance around bad news. That is worse. What's worse? Mill squinted, as if that might make it easier to understand the beeps of astromech droid language. He's found two more. Anakin caught Mill's expression shifting to wide-eyed amazement, prompting a short laugh from him. Never underestimate R2. He knelt down as R2-D2 put out a projection of the suspected locations. He says that, based on their locations... They might be part of a series, an explosive chain by design. The fingers of his gloved hand rubbed his chin, the tactical decisions here refusing to easily conclude in a clear path forward. Obi-Wan needed help. His equipment needed to be found. The Republic needed to be cleared, and these bombs needed to be defused. But by when? No good answers existed. 
The only certainty being that the bombs existed, and that Obi-Wan would face a trial of some sort tomorrow. Obi-Wan says one of my biggest problems is I don't know when to ask for help. Anakin finally said, looking over at Mill. This might be a time to ask for help. You mean, contact the Republic? Yeah. They could send a battalion out here in time for the trial. If we locate all the bombs and transmit their locations, they can nullify them and rescue Obi-Wan in one fell swoop. Anakin's lips pursed to the next thought. I hate making Master Windu right, though. R2-D2 chimed several tones, an affirmative that clearly stated his opinion. It's the fastest way to do it. You think you can get a clear signal? But wait, Mill said. We can't do that. Because it would make Master Windu right? The joke went over Mill's head, barely breaking the cadence of her words. If the evidence already looks like the Republic did the bombing, Sandian clones will only make it worse, even if their goal is to help. The image of Republic gunships swooping through Cadone Moria's bridge cities came to Anakin's mind. Clones offloading in rapid, precise succession across both governmental docking ports and civilian facilities. You're right. They would see it as an invasion, and possibly turn to the Separatists for help. And they might execute Master Kenobi. Anakin nodded. And they might execute Obi-Wan, he said grimly. This was not going to be like Geonosis. No swarm of Jedi would come in to tip the scales in battle. No endless waves of clones would fly in to wipe out the opposition. This mission, in whatever form it had now taken, and however unofficial it was, relied on Anakin's decisions alone. And it started with his promise to Obi-Wan. A promise that could be bent, but not broken. Because it came with the respect of Obi-Wan's understanding of the situation on Cato Nemoidia. His entire goal was to steer the war toward peaceful negotiations. That had to be why he let himself get captured. But getting to Obi-Wan was simply unfeasible if they had to spend the next day locating and defusing bombs. This was a choice. One that carried all of the weight and responsibility of being a Jedi Knight. Slow, even breaths coursed through Anakin as he closed his eyes and weighed the different outcomes here. Find Obi-Wan and risk the bombs? Or find the bombs and risk Obi-Wan? What Anakin had told Mill earlier, what his mother had told him years ago about the Sun Dragon and trusting your heart, the problem was that Anakin cared deeply about both things, and he could only pick one. A different Obi-Wan memory came to the forefront of his mind, as if the Force nudged it into his consciousness as a bit of right-place-right-time recollection. What do you think Padme would do if she were in your position? He'd yelled as they soared over the endless Geonosian dunes. Anakin remembered what he said. Not just the words, but the way the feelings processed through him. The wind stinging against his face. The smell of burning fuel and fired rockets all around them. 
the connections between Anakin and Obi-Wan, between Anakin and Padme, they were both his reason and his guide in their own ways. Padme would do her duty, and here Anakin would do his, while putting his faith in Obi-Wan to do what he needed to do. With a backup plan in his own way, of course. He was, after all, still Anakin Skywalker. His heart would never change, no matter how much his wife and his former master tried to temper his impulses. He stared down this impossible situation, the tug in two different directions, and he made a silent vow that he simply would find a way. R2, he said, we're going to take care of the bombs. Try to locate the others. We've got less than a day. What about Obi-Wan? Mill asked. We'll work as fast as we can. And if we succeed, we'll still have time to get to Obi-Wan. If not... Anakin stood up, his mind and body already coiled and ready to spring into action. We'll be there for him when he needs us most. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, this was a good chapter. Even though they had a lack of action, it explained what was happening in the moment. Anakin and Mill are on Kato Nymordia. They are trying to find out what's going on with Obi-Wan. This is when they hear about the trial. So Obi-Wan is locked up. Then they find a bomb. So they have to figure out how to dismantle it. This is when R2 tells them that there's more bombs. So now they have multiple bombs to defuse, plus rescue Obi-Wan. And they have to get it all done before tomorrow. And that's where this part came to an end. Maybe not the end of the show because we still got to get to the quarter of the week, but it was the end of that part. And when it comes to the quarter this week, it comes to us from Jim Rowan, an American entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker. He said, I used to say, I sure hope things will change. Then I learned the only way things are going to change for me is when I change. At its core, this quarter is all about taking responsibility for your own success. Instead of waiting around for good things to happen to you or relying on other people to make things happen for you, this quote encourages you to take control of your own destiny. In other words, if you want to achieve something great in life, whether it's good grades, making a sports team, landing your dream job, or anything else, you will need to put in the work to make it happen. It's not enough just to hope for good luck or sit back and wait for someone to hand you success on a silver platter. Instead, you need to focus on what you can do to improve yourself and increase your chances of success. That might mean setting goals for yourself, figuring out your own skills or knowledge you need to develop in order to achieve those goals, and then put in the time and effort to acquire those skills. For example, if you want to get better grades in school, you might need to spend more time studying, asking your teacher for help when you need it, and practicing your skills. If you want to make a sports team, you might need to work on your physical fitness and show up to every practice ready to give it your all. If you want to land your dream job, you might need to gain experience and knowledge through internships and other opportunities, networking with people in your field, and constantly improving your skills and knowledge. The bottom line is success doesn't happen by chance. 
It is something that you have the power to create yourself by taking responsibility for your own success and focusing on what you can do to improve yourself and increase your chance of achieving your goals. You can create a bright future for yourself and achieve great things in your life. You just have to put in the work. So that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week for part 37 of Star Wars Brotherhood. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason O'Dagan. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>